I'll be reading this morning from Luke chapter 11, verse 4a. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. The word of God for the people of God. asked him on the hillside, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus, like a lot of other leaders and rabbis roaming the countryside of Israel, had a very tight prayer that really encapsulated exactly what it was like, what it should be like to live as a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in there, right in the middle of his prayer, a clue of what is the absolutely most important thing when it comes to following and trusting Jesus Christ has to do with two things. Mercy, forgive us our sins, as Luke puts it, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Matthew says uh, trespasses, right? Um, Another translation is debts. If you are a Presbyterian, raised as a Presbyterian, you probably said forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, Jesus says, as we forgive those who sin against us. How many, how does it feel to be forgiven? How does it feel when you've been forgiven? Indescribable, that's right. How does it feel to forgive somebody? Ooh, that's right, that's exactly right. Some of you saw... uh, something that rarely ever happens in a court of law, when on Wednesday, a guy by the name of Brant Jean, whose brother was killed in a condominium in Dallas, Texas, uh, a woman who uh, walked, she walked in, she was a police officer, she walked in, and uh, she walked in the wrong apartment. She walked in what she thought was her apartment, And she saw this guy, and she thought he was an intruder, and she shot and killed him. On Wednesday, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And it was a very kind of uh, high-profile case. As you know, a lot of people were paying attention to it. And all of a sudden, the younger brother of Botham, Gene, his name is Brant, 18 years old, he got up. He got up. He took the stand right after she was sentenced. I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, he said, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Can I hug her, he said. And the judge hesitated, because that doesn't usually, usually happen when you're talking about sentencing. Can I hug her? She hesitated, and after silence, she said, you can go hug her. And they met, and they embraced for more than one minute to audible gasps in the, in, in the courtroom. I looked at it on the social media, and as you might guess, 
Some people were inspired and warmed and just completely shocked in a good way by his offer of forgiveness. And other people were repulsed and said he's forgiving too quick and he needs to wait for her to be contrite and say she's sorry before he does that. Forgiveness is tricky. It's hard. It's not easy at times to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, isn't it? That's a challenging part of Jesus' prayer. Now, fortunately for us all, we're going to never, most of us will never be called to sit in a courtroom after a sentencing and address somebody who took everything away from us. Um, but that's not quite what we're talking about, or at least that's not really what we're talking about today, or not ultimately. Ultimately, it is the daily path and the the it's it's making a decision every day about whether or not we're going to live as forgiving people and that's difficult ed bacon says that the only essential to practicing the habit of forgiveness is a genuine wish for both yourself and your adversary to become whole in genuinely opening ourselves to the power of forgiveness we ourselves become free did you hear that in the song that we sang The person you're freeing is yourself. Now here's the best definition I saw of forgiveness. We'll put it on the the slide for you to see. This came from, I think, a counseling organization or psychological organization. But I really liked it the best. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision. Note, it's a decision. To release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether... They actually deserve it. Notice there that we're talking about a choice. It's a deliberate choice. It's a decision that we make. And it, and it comes, we give it to others regardless of whether we think they deserve it or not. Forgiveness in Ed Bacon's book, The Eight Habits, is a powerful loving energy that passes through us before we uh, even... Uh, uh, well, let me just stop right there. It's, it's, it's this energy that passes through us But what happens is, is a harm, an injury has been done to you or to me, and we harbor it, we sit with it a while, and then we begin to sort of block up forgiveness. And when that happens, the toxicity, the poison that is holding a grudge begins to take its hold on us, and we ourselves become the ones imprisoned to its its snares, to its uh, its prison. in Reclaiming Joy, Susan, in her book, she, she talks a little bit about this. It's, it's, it was one of the most helpful things in the book to me. She talked about that uh, scripture that, hey, if you retain the sins of others, they are retained. And if you forgive, they are forgiven. And she wonders about that in your book because it's, I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean like I'm the arbiter of good and evil? And if I retain it, I have the authority or if I forgive? And she finally comes to the end um, uh, that, no, I think, you know, if we retain the sins of others, if we hold them, if we don't forgive, they just build up and become corrosive and begin to eat away at our very lives. Forgive us our sins, Jesus says, as we forgive those who sin against us. We say that every single week because it's the path, it's the daily walk of discipleship. 
Now let's be clear when we're talking about forgiveness. We're not talking about condoning what somebody else has done. That's not forgiveness at all. Forgiveness is not saying that what the offender did is okay because it's not. Forgiveness is not even about forgetting what somebody else did. I don't, I don't have the brain to be able to do that. You might. I know God can have a hard time. And sometimes it is, it's, you know, we, we remember. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. That is so, so important, y'all. Forgiveness is not making up and being nice again. Um, it takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Now, sometimes... With the gift of forgiveness, what happens is two people come back together and they, they mend their relationship. But sometimes that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen all the time. But because that's not what forgiveness is. The only thing I can do to control the situation is to control what I do inside my life. When I give forgiveness to someone else, that means the ball is in their court and I can't control what they do with it. But I don't have to. Forgiveness, uh, I can forgive somebody and choose not to be their best friend anymore. Sometimes I have to forgive someone but remove myself from the situation because it is a not a healthy situation. And sometimes that has to happen as well. True forgiveness doesn't have to wait for the other person to be truly sorry. Forgiveness does not relieve the offender of the consequences of their actions either. You know, there's this old thing called karma. You know, it happens. We kind of have to deal with the decisions that we make. And so it doesn't alleviate that. But forgiveness is what I can do when I choose to do something for myself. Because in essence, in a good way, forgiveness is a good, selfish thing to do. It restores yourself. How can you love somebody else if you don't love yourself? So first, it's a favor to you. At the end of the day... What good does it hold on to your anger? As some might say, how's it working for you to hold on to your anger and bitterness? Probably not real good. It, does never, it never works for me, no matter how hard I try. No matter how hard I try. Um, let's admit, though, that sometimes it's almost impossible to forgive. Let's just be open about that. Um, the deeper the wound, they say, the longer it takes to forgive. Sometimes we have to forgive on our own timetable. And it takes a while to wade through the emotional, all the things that happen. And sometimes we don't quite get to that finish line. Christ wants you and me to live on the other side of forgiveness. The habit of forgiveness is something we have to practice every day. When we're not truly conscious about how uh, we are forgiving others, we can experience death by a thousand cuts. Most of the time it's that, right? It's little things that we just hold on to. Why didn't such and such do this? Why didn't that person do this? And then all of a sudden we're under these layers and layers because we're not self-aware of what we are holding on to. Christ says, let it go because I want you, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. Almost every time I preach about forgiveness, somebody comes up to me and says, I am not able to forgive someone for a wrong that was done to me. And I know there, there's somebody in this room, probably a few people, 
who may could say that about something that happened in your life. If that's you today, I want you to know I hear you. I'm not here to judge you or condemn you. Because some of us struggle mightily with somebody who's harmed us. But I don't want you to be powerless in your struggle to forgive. In your struggle to let that forgiveness flow through you. Because even if you struggle to completely forgive someone, you're not entirely powerless. Where we cannot will our forgiveness, it said in Ed Bacon's book, we can desire it. If that's all you can do, I just want it to happen, Bruce. Hadn't happened yet. I don't know if I could ever make it happen, but I just want it to happen, Bruce. Then you are on that path of forgiveness. But here's the one thing you got to learn how to do. Like we said a little earlier, you got to learn how to forgive yourself. Most people who can't forgive themselves find it really hard to forgive other people. Here's a quote, another quote from Ed Bacon's book that I love. This is a realization that a woman had after really going through a horrific experience in her life that someone put her through. She said, I think the key to forgiveness is to know oneself as deeply loved and deeply forgiven. If there's someone I need to forgive, then I also need to be forgiven for the resentment against that person I've held on to. Without this self-forgiveness, I think forgiveness is a mere theory. It is so much easier to forgive other people when we no longer believe that we need to be perfect either. Let me say that one more time. It's so much easier to forgive others when we know that we don't have to be perfect either because we're not. Right before I made the commitment to go into the ministry, I was working at McLean Southern. It was a it was a, uh, the, the, at the time, I don't know if it still is, but the nation's largest convenience store provider. And uh, candy, groceries, cigarettes, whatever you can buy at a convenience store, that's what we, that's what we were counting in that, in that. I realized that I wasn't real good in a room with no windows, right? I, I need to be free, right? They told us all early on it was a management trainee job and I was trying to impress the right people and they said, hey, there's a motivational speaker coming. He's going to be talking to us. We'll, we'll give you an extra day off or we'll reward you with some bonus if you'll go listen to him. And I was floored that day with what he had to say, but he also recommended a few books and he recommended that we read You'll See It When You Believe It by Wayne Dyer. Anybody ever heard of Wayne Dyer? And so I read that book, um, and it was the most powerful book before seminary, before anything. I saw my whole life flash before my eyes as I read that book. Wayne talked about a time, and he lives, well, he's, he's deceased now. He's the late Lane, Wayne Dyer. He's, he's written so many good books that it's still so fresh. He lived in another part of the country, but he found himself in Columbus, Mississippi in 1974. He said that's where his life completely changed. Wayne had two brothers growing up. And uh, he was uh, at the age of 22. His mom was 22 when his dad decided... And he was three when his dad decided he would leave and abandon the family. Wayne never met his biological father. But he had a lot of loud conversations with his father as he grew up. Why did you leave me? Why did you leave my mom with no, with, with, with no means? Do you realize that me and my two brothers had to go to, from orphanage to orphanage, foster home to foster home? Why did you do that? 
And this was this decades-long argument he was having with somebody who was never going to show back up. When he was in Columbus, Mississippi doing some work, he found out there, he got a call that his dad had died 10 years before and was buried in Biloxi, Mississippi. He rented a car in Columbus. And when he got in the car, he, he saw a little business card. It was called, uh, it said, Candlelight Inn, Biloxi, Mississippi. It's like, whoa, that's kind of weird. It, on the flip side, it had directions to Candlelight Inn. And he was driving, driving down, probably drove right through Hattiesburg, I'm sure, or came down 59, 49, all the way down. Uh, uh, and he's right there on the outskirts of, of Biloxi. There were three cemeteries there in Biloxi. He called the first cemetery. I'm looking for my, da- for my dad, Melvin G. Dyer. First, first cemetery, nobody picked up. Second cemetery, nobody picked up. The last one, he said it was in the smallest little handwriting. It was really sort of for paupers, a uh, cemetery for paupers. His, uh, his dad had kind of gone so far down that uh, that's what he needed, had no relationships with him. He, he finally, finally the, a guy picks up. Hey, I'm looking for Melvin G. Dyer for, is, is he buried there? Three minutes later, guy comes back. It, sounded, it felt like an hour, he said. Yep, he's buried right here. Can you tell me, can you tell me where, where your cemetery is? Yeah, do you know where Candlelight Inn is? He flipped over the card. He flipped over the card and he drove to that cemetery and he said for three hours. He stomped around his father's grave, cussing and mad as he could be at his dad. How could you do this to me? And then, like a flash of energy, like a flash of energy, something came over him. Something came over him. And he discovered the power of forgiveness. And he said, I don't know where these words came from, but he said this to his dad. I no longer hold anger against you. I simply send you my love. He said that through the power of forgiveness, his life took, up, took off. He wrote several best-selling books. He began to care for himself and he lived an incredible life. He said without that moment in Biloxi, Mississippi, I could have never gone forward. And as I read that, I could feel some of my own resentments bubbling up as a 24-year-old young man trying to figure out, trying to figure out a way in his life. And something in reading that sort of freed me too. He shared two quotes later that I want to share with you now that I think is, uh, they're beautiful and they're powerful. Forgiveness is the fragrant, the violent sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Mark Twain. In a Chinese proverb, if you plan for revenge, you better dig two graves. One for your enemy. And one for you. Being a victim, y'all, is exhausting. And the power of forgiveness releases us from that exhausting script that we don't have to play in our lives. So every habit in this book asks on which terms we're living in this world, those of fear or those of love. Forgiveness builds on the other habits that we've talked about so far. Generosity, stillness, candor, truth, play, compassion, community. 
Forgiveness is simply allowing the power of love to assert itself over the power of fear. Allowing the power of love to assert itself over the power of fear. Practical steps this week that you might step one step forward in your walk in forgiveness. Whatever's hanging you up, keeping you angry. Whatever is living rent-free in your head. You want to let go of it? Here's how you might can do it. One, get still. We talked about the habit of stillness, of being still. Just be still. Let the sediment settle in your jar, your mason jar. Let it settle so that you can see again a little more clearly. Two, name the grudges you still hold. Take an inventory of the grudges and the anger and the resentment that you still hold. And then just pick one grudge. Pick one you might be ready to deal with. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the, what's the guy, the, the, the universal debt guy about getting out of debt? What's that guy's name? Dave Renzi. Dave Renzi, thank you very much. You know, Dave says if you've got a whole bunch of credit cards, just start with one. You know, just knock that one out and then get to the next one, the next one. I think it's the same thing. You know, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, right? Just, just grab that one of those credit card resentments that you have that you are so sick of getting a bill for every month, that bill of resentment. Pick one grudge. And I want you to see that person as being held in God's love and light. Do that one thing. Now, just like that um, Brant on Wednesday as he forgave this person who killed his brother, um, you might also want to share some words. And here's a good one. You may want to take a picture of this, but uh, this is the one that the book, uh, this is the one that the book says. So it's, it's two slides, I believe. Yeah, so be ready, Daniel, because we're going to all share this together. Um, and we're going to all share this. So I want you to try this on for size a little bit. And we're going we're to share this together almost as a prayer of confession, as an emptying of ourselves and releasing whatever that toxic energy is and let it go. So we're going to practice together. So all of us have the courage to practice in our stillness alone this week. So will you share with me this? You could say these words this week or you could say some others. Just say it together. I forgive you completely and freely. I release you and let you go. So far as I'm concerned, whatever happened between us is finished forever. I wish the best for you. I wish for your highest good. I hold you in the light. I am free and you are free. And all again is well between us. Peace be with you. Think about those words this week. Here's the the bottom line too. Why do we forgive? Because one Jesus Christ said these words for us. Why do we break bread? Because Jesus poured out his love for you and for me. You think it's impossible to let go? In Christ, all things are possible. I invite David to come forward as we continue in this prayerful uh, uh, mindset 
as we break bread, remembering and asking God to help us learn how to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Let me get this real quick. Here, to come to the table, just a few reminders. 